0: Welcome to this week's episode of the Making It in Asheville podcast. This is your neighborhood podcast to hear the stories of entrepreneurs, small business owners, community leaders, creators of all walks of life here in Asheville. We ask questions to unpack what they are making and learn how they are making it in Asheville. And this week, people, I think that we're in a new Territory perhaps of of guests, so we we've had nonprofits on in the past I don't is is organic grower school a nonprofit yes, no, maybe so yes yeah. yes, so we've had nonprofits, but we've never had anyone like green thumb education that I'm aware of we've had a butcher shop might be the closest thing, but uh not a a farm or green or growing or agricultural guest, and I am so excited to have. Cameron Farlow on executive director of the organic organic growing school uh, which is in Asheville at this point seems to be staple and I have so many questions I have so much excitement I am a novice 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 uh, farmer (laughs) or grower and uh, uh, on behalf of all of the folks growing things in North Carolina and, and Asheville we are excited to have you on the podcast.
1: Well, thank you. I'm honored to be the first, I guess, green-growing nonprofit on the, on the show. So thanks for having me.
0: Of course. And so um, I gave a very high-level overview executive director. Uh, I guess there are a couple questions that are perhaps, you know, the easiest first ones. What does that mean? And then what is the organic growing school?
1: Yeah, well, it's sorry, it's the Organic Growers School. There we go. Um, yeah, but we I missed the first part of your question. Okay, it broke
0: up. No problem. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna chop this up in a second. So I'm gonna ask it better the uh, and in one shot. Okay. okay. Uh, perfect. And so there are some clear and obvious first questions, and those first questions are: Can you please tell us a little bit more about or, Organic Growers School? And what is it to be the executive director?
1: Mm, big question. <laughs> yes. So the, very,
0: or, <laughs> very open ended. Yeah. Hopefully.
1: Yeah, I'll start with the first one because I feel like I've been answering that question the longest. Um, so the Organic Grower School, we are a small nonprofit. Uh, we like to think of ourselves as small and scrappy. Mm. We, but we've been in um, or working in Western North Carolina for 28 years now. And it's our mission to inspire, educate, and support people to farm, garden, and live organically. So that runs, you know, the full gamut of, you know, people who are never growing to people who've been growing for decades um, and are doing it to support some portion of their livelihood or just to support their families or um, wanting to incorporate or, lifestyle too. So, you know, if that's alternative energy or having, you know, chickens in your backyard or um, just growing a tomato on your back porch, you know, there's so many ways it can happen. And that's what we're trying to help people do, you know, recognize that you can grow and have sort of that own personal sovereignty around your food and where it comes from um, to some degree, no matter who you are or where you are or what you're doing. Um, so yeah, so we are supporting farmers, um, of all levels. And that's one of the audiences we serve. We're also supporting gardeners, as I was saying, so home growers, um, and then those other folks. And I feel like I'm just repeating. No, you did great. Now, and
0: but, so, and, and, and um, is okay. the, is the distinction then between farmer and gardener, some version of livestock or is it scale? What is the, where do you draw that line? I would
1: say it's more scale and, in, yeah, scale and intention behind your growing. So um, you can be farming and farming on a quarter of an acre uh, or a small plot of land, but it's really the intention to support your community, I would say. Um, or if you're, according to the, you know, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, you're um, getting some sort of income off of what you grow. So there's that commercial element. But um, I also I'm been thinking more recently about the definition of a farmer, too. And I think it really we want to take into account, you know, um, our indigenous nations, too, who are looking more at food sovereignty for their communities or other um, just, you know, organizations or people who are growing for their community too so that's where i'm trying to shift that definition for myself from just the capitalist um you know commercial uh piece of production to producing for your community more so than maybe your family or your neighbors sort of thing so that's kind of that line that i I would say distinguishes people who are farming from people who are home growers
0: got it and uh and a part of, I mean, I'm looking at the website open on the side here, and a part of it, I'm seeing uh, some little, you know, pigs. And so it's not all just growth of, of you know, vegetable, fruit, uh, garden variety. It is also livestock and husbandry in some form or another.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, I think, you know... Having a diversified um, growing is, or being a diverse grower is something that's really important um, for a healthy natural ecosystem as well and that's sort of mimicked from um nature and that's what we think about a lot with sustainable agriculture too is Mm -hmm. trying to keep those systems and ecosystems healthy and you a lot of times livestock or animals are involved in that whether or not the livestock are being grown for meat or Mm -hmm. um food there's still you know you have your little microorganisms and the bugs that are also doing lots of good important work in the soil too so and bees and um other livestock too. So it runs that full gamut for sure. Um, and I should back up and say, so we're, you know, we're the main way that we're doing this is through education. So okay. we offer workshops and trainings and conferences throughout the year to the different audiences that we're trying to support as well. And so that's, that's really our lifeblood is education um, and yeah, we do that in a, lots of different ways.
0: Perfect. And I have, uh, there are a lot of threads that I want to pull on, on what you've said so far. I also want to say, uh, so executive director, and I do believe you took that role up uh, coming up on a, on a year now. We said, we said that in the pre-episode. So, uh, executive director, we're going to run down this rabbit hole at some point as well. Uh, at a high level, does that what is what what is your day-to-day look like what are you charged with in that role
1: yeah it's a good question I'm still figuring it out Um, and yeah and I think maybe we'll get into this a little bit later but when we shifted our we did a whole leadership restructuring Mm -hmm. last year when I stepped into the executive director role so we've been creating what this new sort of picture of what the ED is for organic grower school since then so um, yeah, I've been figuring it out a lot and I still am. Um, you know, the, the boring answer is it's a lot of computer work. (laughs) Um, you know, we work remotely and my team is remote. So, um, and with the pandemic, all of our education is online. So it's just a lot of like zoom meetings and Google drive and, um, emails and all of that. But, um, I think, What I'm starting to learn and the parts of the executive sort of roles that I've taken on are with staff development and and like team management. So like really trying to create um, a supportive structure for our staff. And that's something we're thinking about a lot is how we can, um, yeah, just be have better benefits, better pay, better just like working situations, recognizing that. Our team are humans, you know. We're not just our jobs and Mm. just um, the work that we're doing day to day. So, And that when we come into our workspaces, we're still these full people. So trying to create an organizational culture where people feel safe and comfortable and um, are able to bring their full selves to the work.
0: Mm. So I'm I'm drawn to the way that you're talking about what you're working towards. And I'm wondering how— who. How has that been influenced? Right. Cause that is, that's not necessarily even, you know, a moment ago when you were talking about uh, the definition of a farmer, it seems like you have a lens that is perhaps n- very modern or I don't know if it's new wave, but it's, it is the type of business that I'm drawn to, which is, you know, thinking about more than just capitalism thinking about more than just uh, maximizing outputs from inputs. And so I'm just wondering, it is hard to change a, a hierarchy-based organizational structure to a more uh, flat organization. Who's inspired that? How, how are you thinking about it?
1: Gosh, um, I don't know if it's just one person. I feel like I'm... It, it's sort of like I'm getting these messages or notes, um, from all parts of life. Like, um, I don't know, I think directly with Organic Grower School, you know, previously, our previous executive director, Lee Warren, you know, she did a lot of work around, um, team building and building trust. And I think that really helped us be able, she set a really great foundation for us to be able to move to more of a lateral management structure. um, And I don't know if that would have been, you know, so that has been a big influence on me, her mentorship Mm -hmm. um, with her role. And I worked, she was the executive director, our first executive director um, and was here. And I worked with her for six and a half years. Um, But, you know, even listening to podcasts or reading books or um, things like that. And actually, a lot of it is working with other um, colleagues who are doing this work across the country, supporting mm-hmm. farmers and growers. Um, I'm really big on collaboration. You know, I recognize that me as an individual and us at Organic Grower School as, you know, It's our vision to transform the food system, but we can by no means do that on our own. Um, the food system is massive and has a lot of different parts. And so we're trying to you know, serve in our role with supporting people to grow themselves and to grow in a sustainable way and organic way that um, benefits the environment and the community and mm-hmm. um, as well as the economy. So there's... Oh gosh, I'm totally no, losing my train of thought. You're now. doing great. Um, so,
0: so how about um, that? That makes me think of a new thing, which is.
1: Oh, sorry, I remembered where oh, I was going. Oh, perfect. Go ahead. That's okay. Okay, so yeah, so the collaboration piece. You know, we're involved in a lot of other different projects with other um, organizations, and you know, I think a lot of it is coming from work we're doing around racial equity and social justice too, and just broadening my understanding of how um, work can be done, how people can relate with one another, um, what skills are valued, what things are valued in general, Mm -hmm. um, and rethinking what that really looks like and um, getting beyond, you know, white supremacy culture and the way that that has influenced my, or has been put blinders on me as a white person in this Mm -hmm. world and um, how, you know, it's, yeah, impacted my perspective. So working with other people from different walks of life and um, different experiences has helped me understand um, there's just so many other ways to see the world, you know? So I think that's been a big influence too, of just like leaning into that and recognizing that um, just because we've been doing it a certain way, doesn't mean that it's the right way or the best way. And so being open to that change.
0: Wow. How, how many teammates, team members, uh, folks are involved in Organic Grower School?
1: So we have seven people on staff right now. Uh, three of us are full-time and the rest are part-time. Um, and we've had, I think, as many as nine or ten uh, and when I first started here nine years ago, there were only three of us, and we were all part time. Wow. So there's there's been a big transition and growth spurt in the last yeah nine years or so. That's
0: amazing. Uh, and I, I, you mentioned how you're collaborating with organizations that maybe look like Organic Grower Schools from around the the country. I'm wondering your the name is Organic Grower School. It's not WNC Organic Grower School. It's not Appalachian. It's not it seems to speak to a national global potential audience. Who who is the audience that you're educating today?
1: Yeah. So our so the geography that we try to focus on is the Southern Appalachians. So sure. the mountain counties in Western North Carolina, upstate Georgia, I mean upstate South Carolina, Northern Georgia, Eastern Tennessee, and Southwestern Virginia. Mm. Um, but I, I would say we have had our biggest impact and most of our work is happening in Western North Carolina because that's where we are physically.
0: Yeah. You had mentioned that there was, um, learning today was happening remotely and I I just wasn't sure if that perhaps was always a part of the, the core education program. Yeah.
1: It, yeah, it had not been for a long, you know, for most of our history. Um, but that's been one of the perks of the pandemic is we have been wanting to get more into online education and it sort of forced our hand into it because we couldn't do education otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, definitely a silver lining is that we've been able to, um, we've had folks attending from California, some of our workshops or Florida, other parts of the Southeast and um, you know, folks have said they wouldn't have been able to participate in some of our programs otherwise. Mm-hmm. So that's, been a really nice uh, um, bonus to an otherwise very challenging year.
0: Sure. Yeah, and that, that um, is
1: that we had. Yeah, we have been able to expand.
0: And, and that's that's special. I'm wondering, when thinking about the curriculum, perhaps I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but some of the courses or programs that are happening today, what what do they look like?
1: Um. Yeah, well, all online mm-hmm. <laughs> is the, the main answer. But um they've all we've all we've had to adapt each program differently just based on who we're serving, what the original curriculum was for those. So um, you know, our Farm Beginnings program, that's a year long training program that we offer for people who are really wanting to move from that, um, sort of learner stage of farming. Um, they might've worked on farms or, um, you know, have started, you know, raising animals on their property or growing some, but they really want to move to the next level of turning it into a business. So farm beginnings is meant to kind of help kickstart them Mm -hmm. in that process. And, um, so we're really focusing on those business skills and that has actually been one of our, I would say one of the more successful to online transitions that we've had um, and where we've had people be able to attend from outside. But, you know, we've had to really, re- most of our programming had such a focus on in-person and really being able to um, have that community and cohort building in physical space with one another to move, then move online. You know, we were, really trying to figure out how to recreate that connection, um, in an online space and that one, because it's the same group of people who are coming together, you know, week after week and, um, doing the work together. It's, um, I think that a really fulfilling experience for a lot of people too. Um, and then, you know, our spring conference went totally online and that I think was a harder one because it's, um, that's what we've. That's been our flagship program. That's how we started um, 28 years ago, and that's all we did for a long time. It was totally volunteer board who would come together, put on the spring conference, and have some you know teachers to have workshops and wow. then it grew and grew. And so I think we had a hundred people at our first conference and then we've had as many as 1800 people at our conference the last couple of years. So, um, and it's just like, it's in the spring, it's the, um, you know, the second weekend in March every year. And I think everyone's just like, you know, ready to shed winter and like get outside and like be with people and just like, you know, bloom themselves. <laughs> Um, so it's, and that, yeah, it's just like a really enlivening experience in person. Um, and so having to shift that online, I think was a harder, harder sell in some ways for people who have been coming to the conference for a long time to not have that same sort of in-person experience. Um, so yeah, so there's some, some things that have worked really well, some things not as well as we'd hoped, but, um you know, we've learned a lot in the process too.
0: Yeah. I I mean, I I can only imagine. And uh, I guess now is as good a time as any to say that uh, Sarah and I just bought a house a couple months ago now. And uh, we are perhaps the, the, the type of person who would be in maybe the next season of our life would be a farm beginnings uh, participant. I don't know if we're ever going to want to take this sh- metaphorical show on the road and and try and properly, um, you know, turn it into a business. But we have uh, a couple chickens and we have a little third of an acre and we have a couple raised beds now. And I honestly I have no <laughs> idea what we're doing. I started a little orchard um but I, I watch youtube and i watch uh and i bought a book jia's uh, G- G- jaya's uh garden maybe something like that j a i a but it had it, okay. it, uh it came highly recommended from the internet i don't know but it, there's just so much there's so much there's so much to learn And, uh, it seems like the timescale on education is longer than anything I've ever participated in. Normally there's a faster feedback loop. Um, Mm. and so, uh, how, I guess, how long have you, you've been at organic grower school for six years or so. You mentioned, uh, with mentorship under the last, uh, executive director, but I'm like, have you always had a, uh, a passion for growing and, and farming? Yeah. Okay. No, no, I would not.
1: I, yeah. <laughs> I would say that's, yeah, not been the story for me. Um, I, well, I guess my story is kind of typical to a lot of families. Um, I'm one generation removed from the farm and, you know, I think, as time goes on, more and more people are finding themselves multiple generations removed from the farm. But there was a time where most of us were getting most of our food from the land where we lived, or at least very close to mm-hmm. where we lived. Um, and so I grew up in quote unquote the city of uh-huh. Greensboro, North Carolina. But my and my dad had grown up on a dairy farm, wow. and um, you know, but he was really encouraged by his parents to go to college, so he did that, became an accountant, mm. you know, just went from one type of workaholic type job as a dairy farmer working, you know, 24-7 to an accountant job, which is very similar in a lot of ways as far as how much work is involved, mm. um, and you know, my mom was a teacher, an orchestra teacher in public schools, and um, so I, in the year I was born, my grandparents sold their cows as a part of a dairy buyout that was happening at that point. Um, and so I was sort of the youngest of all the grandkids and, and. um, you know, missed out on the active farming Mm -hmm. part, but we've always had that farmland. It's still in our family outside of Greensboro. There's about 120 acres and I still have family who lives there, um, but no one's actively farming it. They lease it out to neighbors who run cattle on it. So I grew up with that sort of mentality of like, well, you know, as family farmers and, you know, as a farlow, like you can do whatever you, you know, like you can do anything cause you're a farlow and you, you know, we have farming in our background with sort of a, a narrative. Um, but I wasn't super interested in it, mm. um, for most of my childhood or growing up. Like I, I loved going out to visit my grandparents, um, and would spend time there during the summers. Um, but uh, yeah, I didn't really experience the farming part and then, but then in college, um, I studied anthropology and geography, and that's where I really developed this, I guess, understanding that the environment is the great connector of mm-hmm. all of us. You know, like it's the way that we interact. Um, yeah, I guess on just such a cellular level and food is the most, um, yeah, is the closest way we interact with the environment. and um, it influences, yeah, so many aspects of who we are as individuals, as families, communities, countries, um, and as a planet. And so that's sort of what I saw, started to see agriculture and sustainable agriculture as a way that I could have a positive impact in the world Mm -hmm. and a tangible impact in the midst of all of these really big problems that you know, I was seeing and learning about in college, you know, the great awakening that many of us have in liberal arts schools. Um, so (laughs) I, uh, so that's sort of what led me down that direction is toward more towards sustainable, um, farming and sustainable food systems too. And, um, yeah, just seeing it as a way that I could actually make a difference in the world and, um, maybe, you know, Kind of start to solve in some small ways some of these bigger issues of you know systemic racism and oppression and unequal access to resources and climate change and all of those pieces.
0: In the year twenty fourteen, I cut my hand open trying to do something fancy and open a bottle of beer. That little cut happened three o'clock in the morning. My only option was to go to a hospital in New York City. That quick trip got me four or five stitches. Those five stitches cost me about $1,000 each, maybe a little more. I paid off that hospital visit for years, and it made me never want to go to a hospital again. And so when we heard about Range Urgent Care in Asheville, who has a very convenient uh, model, once that says, show up anytime, book ahead of time, and you will be seen when we say that we would see you. Uh, they do virtual visits, they do home visits, and they have a pricing model that is consistent, 149 every time you come in. And you can go in for anything that's not proper emergency care, 149 every single visit, for x-rays, for stitches, for uh, a checkup. You can you can go and not have to mortgage your home to pay off the treatment. How about that? Sounds amazing. Where would you go to learn more about this? You'd go to makingitannashville.com forward slash range. We have links to a number of range subscription options. I subscribe to a single person's uh, subscription plan. Cost me $30 a month and I love it. It gives me peace of mind and I know that I will not go bankrupt if I ever cut my hand in the middle of the night trying to open up a bottle of beer RangeUrgentCare.com or making it in forward slash range to learn more about these plants and that all happened in your undergraduate you 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 connected all of those dots you you saw the stars align with <laughs> land and food being part of the probably the best solution option that i, I can think of now and i, I didn't learn this in college I, i'm like recognizing it you know in real time today but you, you saw that you saw the writing on the wall
1: yeah I, I don't know if i could have articulated it at the time but okay. you know looking back i that's what really sparked me in this direction um and then you know and i didn't necessarily see myself in um farming education at first i um was really interested in environmental education and working with kids, mm. and did some work in that realm for a couple of years after undergraduate. Um, and then, or after yeah, I had gotten my bachelor's degree. And then um, at that point, I Also had the chance to work on a farm and just got more involved in gardening myself Mm. and um, started to see working with adults and do and supporting people to farm. You know, I kind of I played with the idea of farming myself, you know, knowing that my family had this land and um, all of that. But then, yeah, I also realized that um, I didn't have to farm to feel satisfied and feel like I could still, you know, have a good impact on the world. Sure. I could support other people
0: to do it. I, I, was, I was just going to say, like it's one thing and I'm recognizing it's only been about a month with, with chickens and we, I built the raised beds during our time with the chickens. So, you know, I'm, I'm as novice and as early days as possible, but I, it, it there is something I'll call it romantic about the idea of starting a farm or of growing things and eating the things that you grow. When, when when the rubber hits the road, you know, you talk about dairy farmers and accountants. There are no off days when you have, you know, mm-hmm. animals to take care of. And uh, I don't know what it's like. like. I don't know if I'm hurting the plants that we have so far. I don't know if they're thriving. Like there's no – so like I'm constantly out there and I'm just like – so they're, they're... all all I'm attempting to point at is that Recognizing that this thing is romantic or might be the solution and then attempting to live into that recognition can be very, very different. Um, can be very different and very challenging. And so you notice that maybe I don't need to wear, you know, overalls and be out, uh, you know, farming so much as there's a way to empower the change that I'm looking for through farming. And here's how I might approach that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. And you've really hit a nail on the head with the romance of farming. I feel like that's a, that's sort of like the, the back conversation or the side conversation we have about a lot of our farming education is um, we're doing a lot of bubble bursting. You know, like you might have these really hot lofty ideas and dreams about what farming really is, yeah. but... There's a, little, yeah, there's a lot more to it that you may not fully understand. Sure. And so we want to make sure you're making this decision based on like your quality of life goals and your values and what your actual resources and um, yeah, skills and, are. And we'll help you get there if you want to, sure. but you know, like you got to really want to. And,
0: and I think that's smart because there's, um, so I'll, I'll pause where I'm about to say it and say, When Sarah and I decided to move out of Brooklyn, New York, it was in part because we sat down one weekend and tried to, like, dream about a future, and we we asked ourselves, where is it? And it wasn't in the West Village. It wasn't in, like, the cutest neighborhoods that you can think of in New York or, or Brooklyn. There was a yard, and, you know, there was some land, and there was a community that we felt tied to. And in my version I had this garden that I wanted to, you know, have Sarah have a garden cuz she's an incredible cook and I just always imagine it'd be so cute if she just runs out and grabs some parsley or whatever for, you know, for a meal, tops it off and how cool could that be? And so romantic yeah. ideal of a of a future had a garden in it. Um and then I also have you know, a personal uh, I guess calling towards eating the best versions of meat that I can find and wanting to be really close to that process because I can agree with it being, you know, not cool and not right at like a very high uh, industrial level. But it feels okay and right at a very one-to-one backyard, uh, you know, hunting even level, at least for me. And so all I have to say that uh, there is – A phenomenon which people call, you know, like finding the zone, uh, or um, which which argues that if you're playing Tetris and it's absolutely raining down uh, these Tetris pieces, and you're not world class at Tetris, that's not a fun game. That is not a fun (sighs) thing. That is not fun to play. And if Tetris pieces are moving, you know, uh, as like you can't even notice them moving because they're coming down so slow and you're getting a perfect score. That is also not a fun game. And so you need to find where it's challenging and has your attention and is allows for this level of like release and and total focus. And, but it's also still fun because you're not failing, (laughs) right? Like you're not Mm -hmm. losing, you're not getting the sound. And so, you know, we got these chickens given to us because, uh, Someone that we know had too many, like too many chickens. They were getting 20 eggs or something a day. And so they had to get rid of some chickens. And we said, okay. And then I was like, do you want rabbits? Do you want this? And I was like, no, no, you know what? Like, I just, I think that I'll probably fail. I think we'll hit that boundary on this is too hard. Too much is happening. Too much has happened too fast. Uh, to, to where we maybe not want to do it a year from now or want to mm-hmm. continue. And so, uh, the, the romance, at least in, in my world, is still alive. <laughs> I'm a month into mm-hmm. it, so I'd hope it was. Uh but I'm also like intentionally trying to not try so hard uh and and create like my attempt at a at you know, I, I went with a orchard because I think it should be relatively hands off once they're in. Like once it if they if they make it a year, they're probably gonna make it. <laughs> like I probably won't mess mm-hmm. that up. Uh, and then these really resilient, like fast-growing vegetables that make me feel like I'm winning. But really, it's just like you probably can't mess this up has been my approach. <laughs> and I don't even know what that means. But uh, it seems like you've, in the bubble bursting that you talk about, uh, it seems like you're doing a service. It seems like that's a good thing because you might <laughs> have less farmers if everyone rushes into it.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, uh, yeah, I, I love that story that you're telling about starting I feel like you're starting small and I think that's like the main recommendation you know we give to growers of any scale and the bubble bursting I would say is more from like moving from some level of home grower to a farmer because that's just a whole different trajectory and it has involves a whole lot more when you're really trying to support your livelihood with Mm. farming or with growing so, like, I, we, you know, we try to help people figure out, like, where on the scale of growing you are, because you're somewhere on the scale, yeah, but, like, if you can find a way to keep that romance alive, like you said, um, with whatever scale you choose, like, if that means it feels good to have a couple of, you know, raised beds in your backyard, a couple of chickens, you know, maybe a rabbit, maybe not, um, or, you know, whatever that really looks like for you, figuring that out and not... I think it can be really easy to try and do too much all at once, especially getting started. Yeah. Um, so if, yeah, if you get start small, learn, you know, build your skills as you go, do something easy, you know, then you, yeah, you build those muscles a little bit. <laughs> sure. You
0: know? And I'm wondering, uh, for someone in, in our, I'll call my level, right. So we, I don't have multiple seasons of, home gardening and I'm not necessarily ready to make a step into selling any products or do you have programs that are for you know level 0.1 as it maybe below 101
1: <laughs> yeah definitely okay. um I'd say our spring conference is always a really good spot for that we when it's in person, you know we have over seventy workshops this year. We have about thirty that were all um, recorded, and you can actually still access our spring conference if anyone's really interested in, in that. I think we have a few more months of access through the online platform we used, um, but we also have a gardening series, and that's really like gardening one starting with the basics of like this is soil these are the parts of soil and how it works and how you can you know and then this is a seed and this is how you know that might be a little bit too too basic but you no know, I it think that's I, into I, all of those I, basics for yeah, sure
0: that is helpful um, I'm wondering with with okay and are, are there other classes so that that's the spring uh, conference are there I guess workshops coming up that are, know how to do x or this done like y i don't know new new yeah yeah Yeah.
1: so let's say our gardening series. so yeah we have our spring conference and that's yeah for growers of all levels farmers gardeners um but yeah we have a gardening series that we do in partnership with diana mccall who um is a really excellent community gardener in black mountain and um just a really yeah great teacher and um that i think we've we've done our spring and summer two-part series but there's a fall one coming up Mm -hmm. in july that people can still sign up for um and that we typically do the gardening series every year um we also have a lot of resources on our blog online you know like if you just if if it's not the right timing for a workshop or something you can plug into that and we do have a, a homegrown dreams which is A newly coined name for it we were calling it homestead dreams before but as part of our sort of racial equity work you know recognizing or we've recognized that homestead can have a lot of um, trauma connected to it for indigenous communities especially with the homestead act and how it you know basically like paved the way for white settlers to take over land across the country um, and disenfranchised Folks of color, and or they didn't have the same opportunities to get land at that point too. So, we've renamed it Homegrown Dreams um, as a part of that process for us. Um, but it's really meant to help people, um yeah, get started and figure out like what the best pathway is for them to get started with growing, um, especially on a home scale. Mm. And that I think we have a workshop coming up in July. That's a one-day thing.
0: Exciting! I, uh, yeah, uh, a- I, you might see this uh smiling face in one of those classes, virtually or or in person. Uh There's you're so welcome. It seems like there is. Uh, we were talking about this before the episode started, but it seems like with each even new word that you learn, there are then a you know a hundred or dozens of things to learn about that word. Um, and I, I am doing my best to not feel, uh, completely inadequate and inept. And like, you know, we're, I'm at the office now and I'm like, I just hope the chickens are alive when I get home. <laughs> you know, like I hope <laughs> that something hasn't yeah. radically happened and like, is something landed and eats all of our herb garden. I, I imagine that could happen. I don't know, but it gives me like, and so, uh, some sort of catastrophic failure that is outside of my control. Is frightening, and then it's just also that I'm doing something actually wrong, and and, uh, and I'm trying to not let that uh, voice take much more control than uh, than is needed. But I, I I look forward to learning a lot more, uh, and I will be in some of your classes. i wonder when when thinking about the scale version, though, if someone's going to start uh, the business because I do I'm kind of fascinated by business. It's one of my reason why we interview primarily entrepreneur types um what what are some of like the oh wow moments that students will have when attempting to introduce scale and i ask this in part because i watch now a lot of movies and documentaries about uh farming uh the tiny biggest little farm is like a really popular famous one did you see that california i haven't yet okay well it's beautiful perfect storm in uh in a lot of ways the uh the the husband the one of the main characters like literally was a documentary nature photographer (laughs) videographer and so like it's the most beautiful (laughs) you know you couldn't no other farm could have pulled off this version of the the story but you watch that and all of a sudden you're like i need to buy 200 acres (laughs) and and get started uh and I don't imagine that it works the way that it worked for them, for everyone. And so I'm wondering what are some of those aha moments or the biggest um, lesson blocks that you'll try and provide for folks who are trying to start an actual production farm and uh, feed families and grow a business? Hmm.
1: Good question. I'm trying to figure out where to start. Um, well, I guess, you know, we try and help people understand what some of the biggest barriers are to, to farming in our current modern world. Mm. Um, and, you know, what we've learned through our own research as well as, you know, research and work that's been going on across the country and just talking with the farmers that we work with in our network um, is that land access is a, a primary barrier as well as capital to get started. There's a lot, it's a, pretty intensive upfront capital, um, business, um, and land is a big part of that. Um, and then also some of those, you know, production and business skills, um, that you need to, like, it can, it's very different from growing lettuce in your, you know, a couple of beds in your backyard to growing it at a production scale. Um, And then being able to market that and finding your markets and um, understanding, you know, what the buyers need or who you're selling to and what their needs are. And um, so, yeah, there's just a lot more steps to it when you're um, moving it to the business scale. Um, So, yeah. Definitely ask more questions if, I, if sure. I'm not uh, quite uh, answering your no, question. W- when thinking
0: about but. the capital, because that's one of the first things I think of, my my inclination is always to go to some sort of a service business because you don't necessarily need capital to start a service business. Maybe some software, but like, you're not talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars of software. Typically, you're talking about, you know, monthly subscriptions of 19.99, and you're off in your race and you're, you got a business. Um buying land, buying you know heavy machinery, buying feed, buying fences, putting fences in like all of these things mm-hmm. uh, are by orders of magnitude seemingly more complex than you know updating a website. <laughs> uh, and so are th- how how does the average person who might have made very little money so far growing get a loan? Is there a special loan for if you're going to try and turn a plot of land into a farm? Are there, I imagine there's got to be some sort of incentives to support farmers, but I I don't know anything about that space.
1: Yeah, there's definitely some out there. I would say it's still really difficult for a lot of people. Mm. Um, I know a lot of traditional banks don't necessarily see farming as a viable career, Mm. and so they won't... um, it can be really hard to go to a traditional bank and get a loan to start a farm. So, um, but there are some specialized ones through the USDA Mm -hmm. um, and the farm service agency, particularly for buying land for small and beginning farmers or not necessarily small, any small Mm -hmm. and large farmers. Um, There's some micro loans available through them as well. Um, But there's a, you know, the USDA also has a, long history of um, systemic racism and how they've given out their resources. So it can be a real challenge if you're a person of color um, trying to access those. Um, and it, you know, it depends on, and you, you have local people who are making those decisions. Um, so if, you know, you don't feel safe going into the office, that's a barrier. Um, so yeah, whatever, all the barriers that are there for, um, beginning farmers in general are definitely um, magnified if you're a uh, Black, um, Indigenous, or person of color trying to farm as well. And I think, you know, it's definitely harder because most people aren't coming from farming backgrounds anymore. They don't have land that their family was on. They don't have equipment or anything like that. Or And the transfer of knowledge process has been broken too mm-hmm. between the generations. So, They don't have the farming know-how so you're trying so as most people are trying to start a farm especially young people today they're just starting from you know ground Mm. zero yeah no pun intended um with the ground piece but uh yeah so yeah there's definitely some loans out there um i think that's why a lot of folks are buying smaller pieces of land and starting more like market gardens that are Mm -hmm. smaller scale because they can't get access to larger pieces especially in you know western north carolina there's um beginning farmers are competing for land prices with second homeowners and developers who can pay a lot more than uh you can if you're planning to just farm on it um so there's um yeah those kind of pieces to making it harder for farmers but the usda does have um some programs available and there's local, there's a lot more happening, I would say um, with local creditors um, or, you know, cooperative and community funding as well to support some of that, but it's still, it can be, yeah, difficult
0: in so many ways. Sure. I, um, and I'm wondering, you mentioned how like traditional uh, loans are a little bit harder to come by and, uh, knowledge has been passed down in a certain way. I'm wondering also if there's this other variable where like the type of farming that I'm, I'll say farming, but the type of growing that I'm interested in seems to be the type of growing that you're talking about, which is the term that shows up for me is like permaculture, which is like everything in effect working together and you're trying to create a landscape that is sustainable where if theoretically once you get it going, it could thrive on its own and like continue in that direction. Whereas if you, you know, plow a field and grow a certain crop or another, like it doesn't seem like if you stopped, it would continue to do that thing. Uh, because it's, that's the natural way. Like corn doesn't just grow in rows on its own, but you could create a farm environment that feels, looks is natural that, you know, uh, Uh, mammals or all sorts of like animals will come to because, wow, this is like what (laughs) this is what it everything's so close and and convenient for me. This is wonderful. Um, And what I'm what I'm pointing to is that isn't farming as most banks might know it, I imagine. And that's not farming as maybe the USDA has decided farming is today. And that's not even the farming that if your father farms right now, I don't think that's the farming or, you know, mother or aunt. Uh, if they're working on a, a air quotes, you know, a tr- modern farm or a traditional farm, uh, a commercial farm, it's probably not the type of farming that I would want to learn. I'd want this like other thing that is kind of like hippie and uh, I think has the potential to save the world. <laughs> uh, and so, that might just mm-hmm. make things even complex as well. Cause how do you explain, well, no, we're not just selling apples. We're not just an orchard, right. you know, an apple orchard.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good point. And, um, yeah, something I think a lot of the farmers we work with come up against because, yeah, it's not a traditional business model. It's, you know, people who are used to making these loans see that and they just, their eyes glaze over, you know, they're like, I can't make head nor tail of this um, to like decide if this seems viable. And so I'm just gonna say no to it. Um, And I think it's really interesting and telling to be able to get some of these USDA, um, like farm service loans, you have to have been turned down three times by other lenders to access them. So the fact that like that, you know, that that's, it's weird that it's a requirement, but the fact that that's a common story for people that they're just getting turned down and turned down and turned down. And then this is the lender of last resort that you have to go to as the government, you know, like that's, that's, I think I really telling piece too yeah
0: it's strange to me i wonder like uh, a tale of uh mistaken incentives like i don't know you know imagine people are just like you know uh sandbagging these applications to to banks to get but i don't know if that that's a weird incentive that's a weird rule um yeah and i'm my mind is raising like could i start a farmer bank Where, you know, like we raise a bunch, a ton of money and then uh, give it around to people who want to start some sort of, uh, what is, do you use permaculture in your language? What is, is, because organic is what shows up, right? But organic, you know, is to me at least it's an asterisk. It's not the same necessarily as permaculture and organic. So what words show up for you when you think about farming and this type of not necessarily line crop, farming, or production.
1: Yeah, I'd say all the words, all the buzzwords are ones that we definitely use. Um, Yeah, because for us, organic, we kind of say it's organic with a little O, not the big O. So we're not necessarily um, tied to organic certification and those kind of rules and classifications. A lot of the farmers... Oh, yeah.
0: I, I just want to – I think that's a great point. It came up in one episode a, a long time ago now. Uh, Capital O Organic, if I'm not mistaken, typically has a pretty expensive application process or pretty expensive certification process. So we might be buying at a farmer's market from someone who grows organically, but they're not able to put a Capital O certified stamp on it because it costs a, a lot of money to do that. Am I right? directionally right
1: yeah yeah uh, yeah it's definitely costly and just time consuming all the paperwork and pieces that go into it and um yeah there's a time piece you have to it has to be three years of organic or organic production so um, before it can be certified Mm. so that time lag can be um, hard for people too Um, but a lot of the people we work with they're selling directly to their customers. Um, and they've found that, yeah, that added cost and all those extra pieces just aren't necessary, aren't necessary, um, because they can actually talk to their customers and tell them this is what I'm doing. You can Mm -hmm. see my land, come Mm -hmm. out to my land, um, and have more of that, um, relational trust, um, rather than needing a label to, um, to communicate that to people, but you know we're not against organic certification either. But we just recognize that it's not for everybody, and that you can still have really high quality, nutrient dense, um, you know, regenerative, resilient food um, without that kind of a label. Um, so you know we also work with certified naturally grown. That's more of like what organic certification used to be before it got taken over by. Um, the usda where it's more of like a um peer-to-peer certification Mm -hmm. process um and yeah there's uh i'm trying to think there's yeah lots of other really cool certifications out there that you can get that aren't as time consuming but still kind of communicate to people um what values you stand for as far as how you're growing your food and how you're um, contributing to the community too so we we um you know, help people connect to whatever best suits them for where they are in their farm business and what their goals are. Um, but yeah, lots of people we work with, you know, are using regenerative agricultural methods. Yeah. Resilient agricultural there's, you know, I feel like people are always trying to come up with the new thing to better define what they're Mm. doing, but, um, you know, it's how I think it's really taking approach where you're, Taking the environment and all of the ways that you interact with it, and um, yeah, and your community into account, and trying to um, leave it better for future generations, I think is kind of the simple way of putting it.
0: You might have heard Range Urgent Care on our podcast. Husband and wife team lives right here in Asheville, building a better urgent care. Model. What are they doing? They're making scheduling seamless and straightforward and honest. When they say they'll see you at 4 p.m., you'll be seen at 4 p.m. They make pricing straightforward as well $149 a visit or less if you subscribe to an annual subscription, which I do. It costs me $30 a month, and I love the peace of mind. But not just that. You don't just get to go in person. You can do virtual visits uh, over your computer or over your phone, and they'll even come to you. They'll do home visits. And to me, I mean, it seems like an absolute no-brainer. You can bring—they have family plans. They have business plans. To me, it's a peace of mind thing. It, it makes me feel confident and comfortable knowing that I can see range uh, in my subscription a number of times a year and it's built into my my plan. I will not be surprised by a crazy cost and it is covered by most major insurance policies. So if you haven't heard of Range Urgent Care, I welcome you to check out that episode with the power couple that runs it. You can check out com forward slash range making it in Asheville.com forward slash range to read more about these subscription options and get links to the range website using our link or using our discount code of making it in Asheville. will get you a free month in an annual subscription. Again, range urgent care. You can say that we sent you or visit making it in forward slash range. Uh, I, I hear that. And I've seen uh, regenerative show up a lot. Uh, to your point, the, the the newest term for me, which I know isn't necessarily a new term, but I'm like, uh, it it is my current favorite because it paints a, like, when you answered uh, what is organic grower school, you met, mentioned a mission statement. You know, it, to me, this is like a vision statement, but food forest. <laughs> like, I love the idea mm-hmm. of a food forest. Uh, which is not something I've ever thought of. Those words have never shown up next to each other before in my world until recently. And so I you know I have these little six uh, one day maybe um, fruit bearing trees that are that are starting and the thought that you know at one point we might have a, a kid in the yard, you can just like run out, eat eat a fruit, pick some, you know, uh, vegetables off a of vine, you pick up the eggs from the chickens, and then run back inside. Like, that's such a, it's like a fantasy. It's not even, doesn't sound like that's something yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's real, uh, based on my lived experience so far. Uh, but it was just, you know, a, a day's worth of, of digging and a YouTube video on what a, how best to plant a, a, you know, replant a tree. Wild. I don't yeah. know yeah
1: and it's totally possible yeah there's nothing you know that that's totally doable
0: right and that's the uh i think the gift and the curse of living in a uh instagram youtube world is how uh how perfect a lot of things look when you watch the produced version of it and uh and I, I think that even if it's not perfect, it's, it's worth moving in that direction. So I I think that that's partly the mission that you've communicated, which is, uh, it doesn't need to be perfect, but let's all move in this general direction. Um, and I love it. And I'm wondering when thinking about the, the future, the years, I mean, maybe the second half of this year and the years ahead for organic grocery, what, what kind of initiatives? What I imagine it's, you know, keep on keeping on, but what else is uh, on your mind for the future?
1: Yeah. I mean, let's see. We're, I think we're, yeah, we're always trying to sort of like figure out how we can, you know, improve on what we're currently doing, of course. And if that means, um, you know, shifting, getting rid of some programs eventually, like that's, Something or like uh, expanding other programs. Those are always sort of conversations we're having as a nonprofit too, because you know our role as a nonprofit is to serve the community, and um, you know so we want to make sure that the services we're providing are really relevant and useful and practical for people. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're actually kind of in the midst of trying to do some strategic planning of like who organic grower school is going to be in the next 20 years. Is there a role for us and what role is that? Mm. Um, and um, yeah, yeah, I feel like we're, I, I don't know quite how to answer that question yet. Cause we're like just in the beginning stages of that work. Um, sure. But you know, and there's always that conversation, too, of, like, the goal is to eventually work ourselves out of a job where it's not, you know, people are growing, people are have access to healthy food and the food that they want and they need um, and can grow it themselves or find it nearby um, and have the skills and the knowledge. And there's pathways for that to be, you know, transferred to the next generation and people can have sustainable, viable livelihoods as farming you know as a farmer um and we have clean air and water and mm. you know all of those things and we won't be needed anymore you know sure. like that's the long-term yeah. goal really um but yeah i think i feel like the path for us in a niche that we've been finding is with that beginner grower especially mm. so um i see us kind of expanding and refining our work there for the next few years um, we, you know, are thinking about if doing more national work is something that is exciting for us and viable for us, or if we really want to, like, get more local. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's sort of like we're there's so many visions, it can be hard to decide what the the best path, path forward really is. Um, but yeah, I think we just want to continue to support people growing in whatever ways they're useful for people. Um, and I think with the pandemic, you know, I think I am saying that there is still a role for in-person programming. Like, I think that's sort of been one of our conversations before COVID of, um, like, well, there's all this stuff on YouTube, you know, and people, yeah. you know, can just go and learn through things for free and, um, or they don't, you know, there's also this, I think, understanding that you don't have to tr- do any training or have, um, education to be a farmer, that it's one of those things that's like, well, you know, my great granddaddy did it and he didn't have an education sort of thing, but like he was educated in a different way, you know, and farmers, it's a, as a career, it's a profession just like any other. So like you need training if you're a nurse or a plumber, like, and farmers need some level of training too. So, um, trying to help, create that pathway um, I think is still a, a there's still a place for us there and but yeah so and doing that I guess yeah what I was trying to say with the in-person piece is that there's still a real value for that that may not um, be filled just by people going to watching YouTube videos or things like that too so yeah figuring I, I, out how we can communicate
0: absolutely yeah, and, and 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 I'm I'm hearing you what I'm what I'm hearing is that there are there's so much potential for work to be done. And the, the community to serve is in my I mean, I now exist in your community, like your target demographic. And a couple of years ago, I, I wasn't right. And so I imagine there will only be more uh, new you know, green uh, to call it customer types or, you know, folks to serve. And with that um you know even if it's just 101s if all you do if the, the mission is just like we're going to do 101 level teaching on all of these things uh there will always be new people to teach it to. Uh and so uh, there's a there are two books, three books technically that have shown up in my brain while you've spoken and um I want to call them out because they're been influential to me. There's a a woman named Frances Hesselbein who was the former CEO mm-hmm. of the Girl Scouts of America. She's she was their CEO through, um, you know the the creation of the logo that we think of today of Girl Scouts, which has a lot of face profiles. Um, and um, there's this gentleman named Peter F. Drucker, which is a big deal in most like management philosophy, they call him the father of modern management theory. Anyway, he said that she was the best leader that America had is probably in the 80s when when that was said. Um, she has always championed uh, flat organizational structures. And so I thought maybe, like maybe somehow or another you would like mm-hmm. heard of Frances or like maybe we're like connected to her in some way. Um, yeah. So,
1: I feel like I should be because I was a Girl Scout. I there you go, right? So she, <laughs> and everything. Yeah, so, so I should
0: know. So Frances House, Girl Scouts of America's uh, CEO, um, she's now, she is uh, American treasure. She's got, uh, you know, uh, Medal of Freedom. She is this itty-bitty little old sweetheart angel woman that uh, I've over the years gotten to, to know in some small ways. But um, so is that... And so she wrote, uh, so she pushes this flat organizational structure, which I thought might have been something you'd heard of and then, um, or seen or, or something. But in their community is Peter Drucker's five questions and she wrote a like modern, like an updated version of it a couple years ago. She had a bunch of, uh, I'll call them celebrity leaders, like kind of like participate in repanning some of these like five questions for a, a business, um, which I think could be really powerful as you do this 20 year vision. Um, and then in their circle is Jim Collins, who wrote good to great and a bunch of other business books, he's much younger than Peter Drucker and who's now deceased and Francis Husslebein. But, uh, he did a, uh, good to great for nonprofit organizations. It's like a 30 page reader and Mm -hmm. all of them kind of point to is like, who's the customer? What do they care about? How do we serve them? How do we know if we're serving them? How do we start over? Like, and it's, I think those might be the five questions or something very close to those. Uh, it all points to the same kind of uh, work to be done, which is, uh, you know, like a garden and like a farm, constant. It It starts every year it starts every season starts every day you just gotta you gotta mm-hmm. do the work and it's a it's a beautiful thing and so those are yeah. for the audience and, and potentially i will have links to them but they are really just all great books and great resources generally
1: that's great yeah thank you for sharing that i definitely want to look into the to francis Hessel Hesselbein mm-hmm. said it's her last name yeah yeah that uh, would be I, I took notes on those too <laughs> sure sure she
0: uh a, a national treasure i i went to i was lucky enough i fell backwards into it uh when i was in college uh, she started a um like a college student leadership summit that happened in the summers and i you know, volunteered there after going to the first year or so uh she's always she's a huge uh influence on me and flat organizational structure was like I don't think people thought of that in the eighties and the idea of giving ownership and leadership, uh, laterally. Crazy, you know, uh, revolutionary yeah. perhaps at the time. And now it's, uh, a lot more common. Hard to, in, imp- you know, practice to live into a, a, often. Um, but definitely directionally where, I, where I like, I like, uh, the idea of everyone, um, collaborating and owning the responsibilities and owning the uh, the mission and so leading with mission communication i thought maybe uh maybe we were more uh, aligned than we could have ever imagined
1: yeah definitely yeah and that's i mean we've been in this shift to lateral more or less lateral management for the last year and um yeah i feel like they're so much to learn and there's definitely good examples out there but yeah there's it's not a new thing either no. um, so uh, I'm, I'm glad to have that resource and I, I have a long um list of things that i i want to read but I'll, I'll move that to the top of the list
0: i think, I think we'll probably start with, i think it's very precious exactly for,
1: for where we are yes yeah, yeah. just
0: start with some blog posts i think that the five questions book is one of the um the, the peter drucker one which was the original one i think that might be 100 pages, like size 16 font. I don't know why. Like, it's the weirdest. But it is, uh, it is, it could be a master's degree. Like, if you can ask these five questions and do the work to really sit in it and and then execute against what is uncovered, uh, it's almost, you know, it's like magnetism towards growth and success and serving the community that you say that you care about. Um, Mm -hmm. It's... Eventual, you know, it's just a matter of, of time. Uh, all that mm-hmm. to say, so uh, exciting! I, I can't, I, I can't wait to to participate and see how you grow and evolve. And to be twenty eight years into an organization, um, that would put you at probably one of the oldest businesses that we've talked to in our almost a hundred conversations at this point, um, mm-hmm. or organizations at the very least. And I, I feel like it's so exciting that at 28 years, this has got to feel like day one, you know, like the, it's gotta, it's gotta feel like there's so much potential, you know, and it's not, uh, business as usual or whatever. Like, I I think that the tide is, is shifting in a very big way, which is gotta be exciting, uh, in your, in your seat.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think that's, you know why one reason why I've been with organic Grower school for so long is yeah we've been around for 28 years but yeah we're like little toddlers at the same time mm. um, you know still just um, figuring out how the world works in some ways and um, and we've built so much over the last yeah nine years since I've been here um, when we started we when I started yeah there were three of us we were all part-time we just we didn't have an executive director and then um when we our um, board decided to take a negative budget like they took the leap and approved Mm -hmm. a negative budget and that's when we brought on our first full-time executive director with lee and then um you know and when i started it was part-time and temporary i um was only hired for like the summer to run our craft farm network. And um, that was the only program we were really doing outside of our spring conference at the time. And then the person, um, and I was hired because the person who'd been running it was farming and wanted to be able to focus on her farm in the summer and then come in the winter, but then she decided to farm. So I kind of got to stay on as the coordinator. Um, And I was back on this, just my path because it's it's traditional like from the side of like started as the associate Mm -hmm. then became the coordinator then became a director and now I'm the executive director but when I started like there were no rungs to that ladder you know (laughs) like we were basically like putting the ladder together as we went Um, and then now I'm in the executive director position and when (laughs) We created, when I came into it, though, we took apart the whole traditional model. (laughs) Yeah, again, um, and, um, you know, decided, like, we didn't want to hire an outside person to come in in what had originally been the executive director role. We wanted to um, take that apart and try and fill those functions with staff we already had. Mm -hmm. And... um, Like, and I, before we started that process, I was not interested in being the executive director. Like I, um, at least where I am in my life right now, like I didn't want to be holding the entire organization and, um, you know, all on my shoulders. Like Mm -hmm. I had, um, I have a two and a half year old at home and I just, I have a seven month old. So like I was pregnant and, you know, in the middle of a pandemic and just like, what, you know, like, is this what I want? But then when we recreated it in a way where that responsibility and that power and decision making was shared and not totally on me, that felt so much more approachable sure. and more of a fit for like my values and where I am in my life right now. So, um, wow. yeah, so it's, it's been a definitely a, a different, a different path, but like a typical path in yeah, some ways
0: I, I, Love that we got that insight into, uh, you know, a little bit more into how that evolution has kind of transpired. And I'm, um, I'm feeling like there was something it came up earlier that I could have asked a question on. I would love to now, which uh, could point to the future as well, um, for the organization. But you talked about, uh, how much you've endeavored to learn about perhaps inclusion and, um, equity and, um, and I'm just wondering what, what has come up in that process for you and how do you see your organization growing with this new knowledge and showing up perhaps differently in some, some ways? I don't know.
1: Mm. Yeah, um, I mean it's definitely been a journey for us at Organic Grower School. I think we, you know, really started intentionally with racial equity and social justice six years ago, Um, and most of the work it has been internal and still is. I think that's as a traditionally white led organization serving majority white um, participants, you know, that's where a lot of our work needs to be happening. And, yeah, and it's sort of like, we, we've, yeah, we've just had a lot of our own work to do, you know, acknowledging harm that we've caused in the past, you know, in our 28-year history, by not centering racial equity, um, we have had you know like it wasn't intentional but like our impact has caused harm because we weren't centering it and weren't intentional about um really focusing on um social justice and racial equity work so like acknowledging that history sure. making amends in the community as best we can um educating ourselves And um, then slowly starting to do more of that work externally. Um, So like educating, you know, white participants about how all of our agricultural system is based on a history of oppression and um, systemic racism um, from the very beginning. And yeah, yeah. That's a whole other podcast of the history of, you know, slavery and how it ties into our modern agriculture system. Um, or is our modern agriculture system in a lot of ways. So, um, yeah, I think starting to acknowledge that and just speak about it and be honest about it, as well as um, trying to bring in more folks of color as teachers and creating more of a space where people um, of color feel like this is a place for them, I think has been a major focus of ours, too. Um, you know, bringing folks of color on staff and on our board and um, just getting, yeah, there's so many, it's happening in a lot of fronts because we don't, um, it's, I want racial equity to be, and I was just hearing this articulated in another webinar I was participating in, but we want that to be sort of like the fertilizer in our soil, mm-hmm. you know, not just the lens that we're looking through that we can take off and put on again, but like really be what's feeding us. Um, and what is like where we're rooted, um, and is integrated in all parts of what we're doing, um, and how we function as a staff or organization, all of our policies, but Mm -hmm. then also how, what our presence is in the world and how we're talking about food and farming and who has access and who doesn't. Um, so really trying to just continue to move towards that. Um, In small ways, you know, it's sort of like it's a one step forward, two step back kind of process all the time. And the horizon is never you never really get closer to the horizon. But um, nevertheless, like still trying to get there, I think, is where we're at and hope to be. Yeah,
0: it seems to me that that is there's a there's a thread that ties this whole conversation together, which is uh, there's always work to be done. But nevertheless, you know, let's. Do the, Let's work. do the work <laughs> you know yeah. um and i i am glad that you mentioned the uh, uh i guess the renaming of the program to homegrown uh because that was that was news to me i learned that uh, off podcast um with a previous guest who you know something something we were talking something 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 homestead but really like i i try not to use that word anymore and i was like i I'm sorry, I don't know what we're talking about. You know, so mm. um, what a you know great opportunity to educate, and I hope that our listeners here have learned as as much as I have today, and are eager to do the work to learn more. I think that from where I'm standing, I don't know um, of, I don't know of another type of work or initiative that, to your point, what you learned in college. Has the potential to make as much meaningful change on a, you know, at a family level and then at a global level as um, doing the work to make dirt better, <laughs> you know, mm. to make soil like this little thing that is forgotten by, I'll say, most people. Like if you can make dirt better, uh, you can make the world better. <laughs> it's wild.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's so true.
0: Wow. So uh with that I I'm, as a as a person, you have a seven month old, you have a, you said a two year old. What is yeah what's happening when you're not in this executive director chair, uh, wearing all the hats?
1: Yeah, I'm hanging out with them mostly. Um, so yeah, Finn he'll be three in July and then Willa is Yeah. She just turned seven months old. You know, it's, um, we, they're, yeah, they're beautiful little kids and they're, um, a a lot in so many ways, like so many great fun, like just beautiful heart melting moments. And then just like a lot of big feelings too with (laughs) a toddler around. So there's (laughs) managing both sides of that. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so I guess that's sort of like what my life revolves around these days. Is imagine this. Family. Like <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and, and work. Um, but I should mention, too, my um, my partner, my husband, we've kind of gotten the best of both worlds as far as farming, I think. He's the farm manager with Hickory Nut Gap. Oh, uh, which is a, yeah, local grass-fed what it, meat operation. What's his name? Walker Sides.
0: Walker Sides. Okay. I, 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 yeah. I've met. A couple of folks on the team there, but I was—I don't know if I've met Walker. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're um, they're up to some good work over at Hickory Nut Cat.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they are, and he's been there—I don't know—twelve years okay. or so now, and actually grew up there um, in Fairview, and that's where we live now. So we get like the farming lifestyle and he gets to farm every day but we don't have to make the land payments and he still gets a salary and vacation and um and i get to you know support farmers so sure. yeah like in a lot of ways i feel like we found the sweet spot as far as our careers um in supporting the food system so yeah we still get a lot of the perks of the farming without as much you know there's definitely still headaches involved and if it's you know the animals are dying or right. the cows are in the middle of the road and get you know to 2, two a.m phone calls and he has to run out and herd them back in but
0: are, are you out east then are you in that kind of fairview area
1: mm-hmm. yeah we're right um by the farm beautiful. uh our beautiful landlords are actually members of the family so oh, we're wow. we're pretty networked in there for sure
0: that's wonderful i uh, uh with that i'll i'll ask a a Question that shows up in, I believe, all the podcasts or at least most of them, which is uh, word association. We have the word Asheville and then we have the word community. What comes to you when I give you the Venn diagram of Asheville and community?
1: Well, that was hard because you say Asheville and I think community. So ah. <laughs> that's where my head is. Stuck right so the now. circles um, are overlapped. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. Yeah, it's just one big circle. Um, Yeah, I... This is a hard one for some
0: reason. And this is not... I guess maybe maybe I want
1: to say just growing, like... I know that might sound very cliched just based on my work, but I just feel like there's so much growth to be done and so much growth that's happening mm. in Asheville and Western North Carolina. Um, you know, for better or for worse, sometimes we're growing. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Well, I'll give you uh, that was a very on brand answer. And I think it's a very uh, good answer. <laughs> I, there is, uh, there is, for, I mean, There's growth in Asheville, but I think that you don't need to be uh, Sherlock to notice that you are pointing towards a type of growth that is the good, uh, thoughtful uh, net benefit to all the people who are participating in the the growing pains that come with growth. Mm. Mm Cool. Cool. Uh, what a what an absolute pleasure. I can't wait to like uh, uh, put my hands in some dirt at one of the courses and learn how to, I don't know, do anything. Because I don't know how to do anything right now. And I would love yeah. to learn uh, through one of your programs. Thank you.
1: Yeah, we'd love to have you. Hopefully we'll see you at one of them sometime soon.
0: Perfect. This was an absolute pleasure.
1: Thank you. It was.